Hello team, it's Pam here from Alt Marketing School. I have a question for you right now and that is what would happen if you could market to hearts and not brains? What would you think would happen if you knew that you could make the world a better place with positive impact marketing but putting purpose and results first? If you want to find out, then come and join us for the Alt Marketing Certification. Our six-week digital bootcamp for professionals who want to do marketing differently and advance their career along the way. Join me and our six incredible teachers to learn how to advance your career with confidence by applying effective systems and frameworks to the latest trends. The next cohort is coming up soon, so I would love to have you join us. And all you have to do is apply to join at altmarketingschool.com slash learn. Go to altmarketingschool.com slash learn to apply for the next cohort of All Marketing School certification. Hey, legendary human. Yes, I'm talking to you. Love the show? Why not joining hundreds of creatives already part of our collective for monthly masterminds, challenges, masterclasses, and so much more? We help creatives make a positive impact in the world with their message and their content. So give your creative work the visibility that it deserves. Find out more about how to get involved in the show notes of this episode. At the moment, like with whatever team we've got, I mean, at the moment we've got quite a small team, but it's still a really collaborative approach because I think you get more out of the process by ideas coming together. Weird jingle bell. It's because it hasn't started yet. <laughs> Let me do it. <laughs> Let's do a bit more, guys. Enjoy it. Are you sure it's going to start? Here it comes. This is not jingle bells. We should have prepped this before. <laughs> this is. It is. It is. Version. It's, it's a casual version no, where you're lounging with your drinks in your in your in your hand. Well, it's not the chorus. Well, did, we wanted to welcome welcome you back <laughs> to the podcast with a lovely jingle bell. That was nearly a minute of us <laughs> trying to find the right time. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> We're keeping this. <laughs> welcome back to Samantha, and that's how she welcomes us back. Thank you. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Lovely to, lovely to see you again. Lovely to see you too. Oh, and we got Samantha back after she went off to her gorgeous ventures because we're talking about a very interesting topic in the podcast, which is uh, drinking cultures and non-drinking mm. cultures and all drinks and non-drinks. Since a lot of people are listening to this and we're just in the, the heat of <laughs> Christmas parties and Christmas yeah, season. That's true. Yeah, everyone's Christmas. celebrating. Everyone's kind of yeah. going out for drinks after work, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And we have uh, Ellie, uh, founder of co-founder of Kalina Drinks, mm-hmm. to talk about how she created a non-alcoholic spirit and mm-hmm. why she did that. So I thought nothing better than bringing three people with three different stories of um, non-drinking, I mm-hmm. suppose, yeah. uh, culture. Um just to talk a bit about our experience and obviously how we navigate. I had one, only one Christmas fully sober or teetotal, call it as you wish. So my experience is a bit different. But we've got somebody who's been forevermore, isn't she? That's me. <laughs> <laughs> this is Samantha, by the way. <laughs> Just in case. Um, I mean, yeah, I probably had a few drinks over two months at university. And then once just felt really sick and thought, this is just not worth it. <laughs> so, yeah, apart from that, I've never... Had a Christmas drink or any drink for that matter. I've tried how many alcoholic free? Lots more recently. I think they've finally mm. started happening. I mean, growing up it was just horrible because you'd go to a pub with your friends at like 18, 19, 20 and they'd say, you know, or you'd say, can I have a non-alcoholic? And they'll say, yeah, we've got J2O, which <laughs> yeah. is so obviously non-alcoholic and it's yeah. just, you just feel a bit like a child. Whereas now things like these non-alcoholic spirits are so nice because especially if the bartender knows what you mean mm-hmm. you don't even have to say non-alcoholic you can just mm-hmm. say can I have a Kalino G&T or whatever yeah, it is that exactly. they would serve it 
So it's no one talks about it, no one mm-hmm. knows. You just get to enjoy your night without it being a thing, and that's yeah, so sure. much nicer. Yeah, I think there can be so much pressure on these kind of occasions. Like I was at a wedding in the summer. And I was a bit worried, because um, I don't drink, and I was a bit worried that, oh, everyone's going to have champagne, and yeah. everyone's going to be drinking. I was like, fine, if I feel like I want to in the moment, then fine, I'm not going to deprive myself, but I also don't want to feel really bad. Um, but they just had, lo- they had like, elderflower spirits, but yeah. it was in a gorgeous glass with some fruit and a straw, mm-hmm. and it, it looked exactly the same, so it felt really celebratory, because I think you never want to feel like you're missing out, and I did all my drinking back at uni, like... I mean, I've always been quite lightweight, so they'd have, like, three <laughs> drinks and that would be me done for the night. Um, and I obviously had, like, a few hangers, hangovers over the time and stuff, and I really enjoyed it and I wouldn't change a thing about it. But I think just as I got older, um, I just kind of drunk less and less frequently because I didn't yeah. have a reason to. And then when I would have a bit of a drink, I was like, oh, my gosh, this feels awful, like, yeah. after, like, an hour... And then, like, a couple of summers ago, I had half a glass of Pims. And, like, a few hours later, I was like, what is this headache? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, it's Pims, for goodness sakes. You know, I just know that I'll feel better yeah. if I don't drink. And I think the less you have, the more, if you then have a tiny yeah. bit, your body's like, what on earth is this? Like, and it's I don't poison. Yeah. There is no reason why you should drink from a health perspective. Like, yeah. I know they say right, right, wrong, but I don't believe that. Like, <laughs> I just, there is no reason. So I'm like... I'm all about like nourishing your body, so yeah. like, why would I poison it? Well, I guess we we have the thing about coffee that we both like, which mm. obviously in itself is not it's not as bad, but it's still I think it still falls yeah. into the kind of like mm. people say it's good, people say it's bad, but it can actually make you feel quite bad if you withdraw. So yeah, I think it's also, always I this mean, conversation. I think there is like there's a social element, isn't there? Like yeah. it's hard. You've got to be quite a confident person to say I don't drink in a world that does, yeah. and especially as you're growing up, and everybody is kind of doing that mm. or after work drinks like. I can understand why some people would feel that pressure. But also, like, I suppose, yeah, it doesn't have a health perspective. But yeah. if you enjoy it and, it and it brings you joy and it brings you social kind of integration with people and fun. And, yeah. Like, and that's know, if you enjoy it. Yeah, It's exactly. not because you feel you should have it. Yeah. And it's definitely taken me a while to feel confident enough yeah. to be like, yeah. no, no, that's fine, I don't. Because I yeah. love champagne. Like, I genuinely do. But now I'm like, I feel awful. I, <laughs> so I just won't have it. I think it's, again, I'm probably coming from a the different end of the spectrum as some of you love to drink and I was drinking a lot and I could drink <laughs> very fast like it was it was an insanity when you think about that um, and again everybody would make fun of me because I was I, I was a heavyweight oh. yeah and um, oh dear <laughs> we've got some embarrassing stories yeah. <laughs> oh yes more than, one that I would like to recall especially from the uni days and like when I was younger as well but it was again I have been actually have an app still which even if I change the phone, I think it still have it. So what is it? I quit. I think it's called. Oh, uh, let me find it. Sorry, I'm just literally trying we to find it just... right now. Yeah. Uh, here we go. No, no, it's here. It's here. It's called I'm done, Ooh. and I'm done since 21st of July 2018, and it tells you how many days, how many years, how many months, how many seconds, mm-hmm. how much money have I saved apparently by not drinking, which is actually wow. not true because I, I have non-alcoholic stuff, which is still <laughs> yeah, pricey. Yeah. But not as pricey. Uh, I'd say about £9,300. Wow. Uh, and I haven't consumed about 1875 hmm. almost drinks. It's really funny. And I didn't back then. And I want to have this very brief conversation because there are some people that might think drinking is not conducive for me anymore. And I found that that's the thing for me. I'm a very addictive personality with plenty of things. I've never been into anything heavy. Uh, but I've had my fair share of... Uh, challenges with my mm. life and I found that drinking was the thing since I was really young that would help me when I was stressed challenged scared or worried or mental health mm. issues so I was like I can still deal with it when I'm happy I'm happy when then I can have a drink mm-hmm. then I came to a point where I was like what happens if I don't use it as a crutch anymore yeah and I think it's something to be said because then I read loads of books and when I did that app and I got the app and I started a journey I got a couple of books like all the books about being sober and it's a beautiful book by Catherine Gray called The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober and she kind of goes through somebody who literally went to a point of almost no return when it comes to the way that she had to change and I from at the time I don't know actually how she's now but she couldn't even have a non-alcoholic alternative because mm. it was still close too much too close to home because mm-hmm. if depends obviously the relationship that you had but yeah. um when you don't drink for fun, you just drink because it's kind of helping you cope. Yeah. That's when the issues is. And I think yeah, for me, I found that it doesn't trigger me as much. 
if I have an alcoholic beer, which I have, because I love the taste. Mm. I love the taste. Of, maybe not of not all non-alcoholic beers, but I love the taste of some wines. I love the taste of some things. And to me, it's actually quite easy to do that jump and just don't go there. But I wanted to say that for the people that are trying to be sober and go teetotal from somebody who drinks either regularly or they drink a lot, it is your journey and I would say literally find accountability that you need and the support that you need whether it's a book whether it's a whether it's again finding alternative solutions especially if you're doing it I transitioned sounds wrong but I transitioned um in summer so it was my first I had my first um Christmas without drinking and I remember I was with my new boyfriend at the time and uh, well my boyfriend now and his mum didn't know me that well so she bought 20 different varieties of non-alcoholic drinks. Oh, 20. That's, that's, so, that's sweet. so nice. I thought you were going to say that she bought you loads of champagne. Yeah. <laughs> I was getting something. Yeah. And it was like, run. But, but that's you know, so thoughtful. That. So that's the kind of thing yeah. where it was like, you know, it's just nice to be able to find your own version. And I think yeah. if you choose not to drink because you know that drinking actually didn't make you feel good, um, it's just like a nice progression. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like helps you, but some people cannot even look at it, so they have to have literally water, or some people cannot go into a pub anymore. Yeah. Or even weddings were a massive trigger mm-hmm. for me. My first wedding without drinking is really hard because mm-hmm. everybody's trying to hand you yeah. something. I just go, no, no, I don't drink. Yeah. But now, what I've seen is that we talk about actually with Ellie as well. So many people are part-time drinkers, just like the flexitarians and stuff. Yeah. So there's so much more of a, of a conversation yeah. about... Um, choosing it for yourself yeah. Yeah. to feel better and just kind of like be better and I've changed a lot because I'm much more clear clear, clear yeah. about everything you don't... that is what's so good about a, a non-alcoholic alternative is it gives people who do drink the opportunity to not if they don't want to that yeah, day like, but you still have a nice drink exactly. you feel special you feel yeah. like a part of the occasion yeah. whereas up until quite recently you either had water from a glass with a bit of ice in it because yeah. that's all they had mm-hmm. or a tonic or something or you had beer. So you can see how, like, the alternative, if you're having mm-hmm. a glass of wine or a bottle of beer or something, yeah. to then switch to a glass of water is really boring and just annoying. Yeah. And you're like, well, I'm not enjoying myself. Whereas if you know that you can have three beers followed by a non-alcoholic cocktail of some kind yeah. that you really enjoy, then it's you can yeah, do it's both. Like, it's not just for people that don't drink. Exactly. Like, and it just helps everybody do it. Mm-hmm. To yeah, like, sure. contentment. So you drink yeah. happy. And, and that's what, what I like, and that's actually what we're going to talk about, and kind of where she sees the, the, that kind of side of the industry going. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with uh, we've got Super for October, but then you also have like dry January. So mm-hmm. these are very key times where lots of people are trying to just make the difference and the switch. And this is what I'm saying whether you're somebody who never really got into it too much and you're just trying to find something that can help you socialize, whether you're somebody who wants to transition into not drinking anymore because it just doesn't make you feel good anymore, mm-hmm. just like I did. Um, it's kind of cool to see uh, from an industry perspective because she used to work uh, with actual like drink companies so, like yeah. popular and alcoholic and so seeing how everybody's now trying to find an alternative to fit within those times where mm-hmm. it's nice to have another option that makes you feel included yeah. so yeah, definitely sure. listen because it's going to be quite a very industry specific mm-hmm. one yeah. but I think it also gives you a lot of motivation I hope um, if you want to try and reduce or change your habits for a month or two or maybe at this time of the year you want to just take it a bit easier uh, this chat will definitely help you out with cool ideas and, and prompts nice amazing yeah. well um, actually let me see if I can find our lovely non-Christmassy song again just to say Merry Christmas to everyone <laughs> well, Merry Christmas <laughs> well guys this is all from us that's um, HBC theme and Samantha special guest yes. back to say happy Christmas to you. Happy Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Lovely festivities. And we'll see you back in 2020. See you then. Bye. I do love Southwest. I think uh, yeah. for people who don't know, for people who are not listening, well, who are listening, no, not listening, who are listening are not from the UK, um, Bristol is one of the biggest cities in Southwest that people definitely know. Yeah. And um, it's next to Bath, which is probably people know more Bath because it's touristy. Very touristy, yeah. But it's like half an hour away by car, 15 minutes on the train. So yeah. you get the first... I mean, Bath is very different. It's yeah. very... You, know, you go there to visit the Roman bars. It's very beautiful. But yeah, it's nice. I think Bristol's really exciting. It's got lots of stuff going on. Yeah. Independent culture as well. 
That's very true. Like we used to be in, um, I used to live in Bath, and we would go to Bristol for gigs a lot. Yeah, so we're just going music scene because it was great. Yeah. Um, but I love Bath. I think my 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 hometown is very small, so went from that to Bath. It wasn't such a culture shock as probably yeah. going from that to London. I think it would have struggled a lot more. Yeah. So um, it kind of feels a bit like a first home. So I know so many people actually in business and stuff, the people that I work with, they are actually based in Bristol. Yeah. It's kind of it's very very interesting um and there's much more of a connection right now again mm-hmm. obviously people i think people have a misinterpretation sometimes of what the uk is like or how big it is or kind of things yeah. but obviously london is very much the central side of it yeah. and i think even when you think about things like birmingham i don't know many people have heard of birmingham if they're not in the uk sometimes you think oh it's very it's very close not everything is quite far away no, it's a relative and so i think relatively speaking it's kind of like that um, and I don't know, I always found this a weird connection, which I don't know why, between a lot of the southwest and and London. And I don't know mm. if it's also because it's a bit more uh, agile and, and young. Yeah, if definitely. You know what I mean. It's definitely got that kind of feel, that vibe to it. And and you've got the coast. You can get down to like Cornwall and Devon. Like, it's so nice down there. That's amazing. It's, it's quite, yeah, it's one of the perks, I think, especially in summer. So because you're running a business as well. Yeah. And obviously, uh, the good thing about product-based business, I suppose, is that there is a bit of flexibility, obviously, within it. Uh, but still, um, how are you finding, you know, kind of like coming into London yeah. and and everything like that? Just kind of out of curiosity, obviously, because London is obviously a place to be, and yeah. that's where like everything about non-alcoholic drinks and this kind of new culture has flourished. Yeah. So I think Bristol as a base is a good place to start. I think it's known as like there's lots of vegans there there's alcohol free is actually quite big awesome yeah people drink a lot of kombucha drink a lot of non-alcoholic drinks um and it's got that independent kind of free spirit so it's a good place to start a business but of course i i spend a lot of time in london (laughs) i'm here here, you know at least once or twice a week having meetings there's lots of head offices in london and customers and yeah i think it's not just the capital of the uk it's like a really important hub yeah, in terms of the world, and it's not too far from you anyway. No, no, it's like an hour and a half on the train. Exactly, and then you can like can work as we work, and I can get work done on, on my laptop on the way there. So that yeah, is very interesting. <laughs> and we were talking about it actually right before we started. It's just you actually are able to fit in what you want because you're going to be being, well. This is the day that I'm in. Be there or be squared. Yeah. Whereas focus. I find that you know when we tend to be here all the time or in London all the time. Yeah. Um, I think especially because it's so vibrant there's such a, so many things going on it's a bit harder to sometimes not accommodate other things whereas you can be pretty much like well these are the days that I'm in yeah let me know when it suits you but this is kind of what I'm doing yeah and it kind of gives you a bit more focus to get and streamline especially as a yeah. small team because you guys are yeah and you have to be you have to be super careful with your time like you don't want to waste a couple of days being here there and everywhere and trying to do too much you want to be super focused because when there's not many of you like you, there's a lot of work that needs to get done and it has to, to sort of stretch across whatever team you've got and like like I said we've got quite a small team still at the moment so <laughs> hey like I think at the end of the day also um it's not just about how small it is it's also like who are you kind of focusing on first and you said yeah. that again just borrowing your words from earlier you're looking to first of all it's going to be like a sales person coming in as well yeah. which realistically speaking is so important for yeah for a product-based business, especially with what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Because um, I guess you have uh, sort of a, be, you know, like obviously the, the, re- the retailers, but also you've got the restaurants, the bars, because we're talking about, you know, a drink, yes. a hunger-free spirit that people can enjoy as well. Well, you can have a great product and a great brand, but if you don't have the distribution, no one's going to be able to get hold of it. So, right? <laughs> so you have to, you know, marketers, the way I kind of see that marketers work to get, the the product and the brand name out there and the sales guys are working to get it on the shelf and get it behind the bar so people can get hold of it and and yeah both have to work together and you can't have like one without the other so yeah at the moment as a small new business we're focused on getting new customers winning new business getting the brand out there getting people knowing about us one of the things that i would say just from the outside is that one of so uh, I've been sober for about a year and a bit now. Yeah. So I'm very much always looking at different things that are coming out that taste like normal drinks because I do enjoy. I did enjoy that at the yeah. time. So I've seen different versions. For example, like the wines as well. Yeah. 
some I kind of I'm very much based on branding and there's, there's a branding focused yeah. element of me I guess it's just being in business and I think that sometimes it's good when you really nail the branding and the, and the identity of the brand because yeah. what you want to be you want to be new but you don't want to look too new when you're having a lot of other place a lot of the people trying to get the attention you want to feel like you know you're sort of established within your own rights yeah if that makes sense so yeah. it's something to be new but you don't want to look Amateur is really pretentious, and I don't want to use the word amateur, but I don't know if you all know what I mean. Yeah, I think you have to be, I think it's a new brand, and and the market is getting more populated, you're getting more, like, drinks is, is definitely a market where you get loads of new product innovation anyway, Yeah. and the space is getting a lot of attention in the press and the media, and I think you have to go out there with really, cl- be really clear on your voice and, and what your you're there for like what your purpose is what you stand for how your brand appears and I think if you go out there and you're the same as everyone else it's boring right people want different brands they want you know people buy into your brand and and what you stand for as a company so it would be it would be dull if everyone was the same (laughs) (laughs) but you also have the extra layer of doing still something slightly different Mm. than most brands did when they started so we've got the gin was the first one. Seedlip, to me, was the yeah. big first one. Yeah. Then you got, obviously, the beers and the wines that kind of came yeah. at different times. But then you went one step, like, forward again. And what Calinio is, is something completely different. Mm. So what is the origin of the idea of the product itself? So the, the idea came about a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked I worked in the drinks industry before Calenio, so this wasn't wasn't a new industry to me. I knew oh, okay. I knew and I loved the industry. I'd worked in it for about five years, um, but I kind of stumbled across it by doing Dry January for the first time, yeah, at the beginning of two thousand seventeen. Because that is mostly the time where people, you know, it's a, you know everyone knows about Dry January, particularly in the UK, and I think it's one of those times where a month is enough of a challenge, yeah. <laughs> But, it, you know, it's more than a week, it's less than two or three months, which people might see as too much, so it's a good time to actually try it out and see, can I go a month without drinking? So I was kind of experimenting with that, and it was interesting to me, because most of the time I worked with alcohol brands, and I loved I loved the excitement and the energy in, in the alcohol world, it's fast-paced, there's lots of innovation, there's lots of great brand stories, but... When I did dry January and I was going out with friends and trying to find something to drink, I normally found I was, I ended up drinking stuff that I didn't really want to be drinking, like Diet Cokes or lime and sodas. Or, oh yeah. Or it just gets to the bar and, and I just be like, oh, I don't want to drink this anymore, I'll have water then. And then you just instantly feel excluded yeah. from from your friends and everyone around you, whether they're, you know, if they're drinking gin and tonics and drinking wine, beer, whatever... I think it kind of struck me as really bizarre that that if you're suddenly not drinking for a day, a week, a month, your choice is severely limited. Yes. And I don't know, I guess I just thought, kind of feel like I might want to do something about this, but I wasn't sure. And I, and I kind of started looking into it a bit more and, and into the industry and, and seeing what was out there and, and could I do something, not really knowing where to start, but found myself getting more excited about it and, and, and excited about doing something. I love creating things. I've always been quite creative. So I thought, you know what, I want to give it a go. And and, and it kind of became my little side project. Um, and in terms of why why Calenio looks like it does and, and why it's you know why it's got quite a colourful, vibrant pack and why Calenio well, I I grew up around South Americans. My mum's uh, Colombian. And I grew up around that culture, so my childhood consisted of, you know, spending three months in, in Colombia with family, and you grew up around parties, music, you know, Latin life, where people are really happy, positive, upbeat, and and I think the thing that struck me about the alcohol-free world was, if you're not drinking, you're normally seen as, as the boring one of the group, and, and you're normally put under pressure to drink because that's what everyone thinks you need to do to have a good time. And and this was, I think that was frustrating for me. I was kind of like, I think we're now, we're getting to a stage where we're getting past that, where we feel like we have to rely on something like alcohol to have a good time. And people are realising that that you don't need to depend on that. Um, 
but it's been that way for a long time, so it's not going to happen overnight. But for me, I was really keen to create something that stood for that yeah. and would help people see that there's a more exciting option out there. So it helped that at the time I, I went travelling around the country. I took my boyfriend and we went we went all over. I'd never been to the coffee region. I'd never been to Medellin, which is one of the main cities. I'd only ever been to Cali, which is where my family are from. So, so yeah, I was working on this idea at the time and I went back to Colombia and, and I just got lots of inspiration, like the colourful streets. You go to places like Cartagena, it's just paved in colour. Yellow, blues, greens, reds, the... The streets are painted with colour and it's amazing. And you can't help but feel happy and smile. And that's what I wanted to bring into, into this category. So, so yeah, I came back and I was more excited than ever to just kind of get the, get the recipe going, maybe bring some tropical ingredients into it. So that's where the Inca Berry became quite a big part. They're like these little small, sweet, tangy fruits that grow in the rainforest um, and actually went really well in the drink. So, so yeah, I guess that's where it started, and then this whole process probably took a year and a half, two years, till actually I got it to market, because I wanted to be, I wanted it to obviously taste great, and, and for people to love it, um, and that takes time, that took time, so I, I waited actually until January of this year, yeah, to get it out there, and of course, what better time than dry January, where a lot of people are actually thinking about taking some time off alcohol. So, so it was a really great time for us to launch and get and get the name out there and tell people about. You know, there is another, there is another option out there. Give people choices. What about edu- educating them, if you can, with inverted commas, about, um, I guess, how to make the most of the drink? I'm gonna explain. Yeah. First time I'd seen it, I was like. Awesome, but also literally tastes like gin, and I love my gin, so I know yeah. what gin tastes. Yeah. So I kind of pretty much knew how to kind of whip it up with like yeah. fake gin and gin and tonic. It was yeah. quite an easy uh, shot for me. But I'm thinking with different kind of propositions and different flavors and different things. How how do you find it kind of like you know helping? Because I think if you're going to a bar or a restaurant, obviously yeah. you kind of come with the proposition, get the product, and then you can play with cocktails as well. Yeah. Uh, but I think some people that, for example, uh, decide not to drink for a yeah. period of time or forever, regardless, you kind of want, as you say, you kind of want to that fun. You kind of want to sometimes feel like maybe like you like the taste as well. Like yeah. personally, I do like still the taste. Is not the taste was never the issue with me. So it's just kind of interesting how because it's such a different flavor. Because I tried it yeah. at one of the shows as well. I like down the couple and just like lolled because the whole team pretty much doesn't drink. Samantha yeah. never drank. I don't drink. Um, Amy pretty much doesn't. Yeah. So we're kind of like, yeah, down in shots. <laughs> and, and yeah, so I was kind of interested when it comes to that because obviously yeah. it's to me was very different from anything else that I tried before. Yeah. So I think you have to, obviously it's a non-alcoholic spirit so we can play in areas that alcohol can't but at the same time I think you have to have some of the the guidance there around how you drink it and, yeah. and education and awareness is probably two of the main things that are so important for us so even now we've been really really clear on to people how you drink it because people look at the bottle and they still won't know necessarily how you pour it what measures so we've tried to keep it really simple and stick to the world of, of spirits which people know you can do a single measure you can do a double measure um, we we say the perfect serve is one measure of colonial, three parts tonic. So we kind of, we stick with tonic as that, that kind of partner classic serve because we think it tastes really great with tonic to begin mm-hmm. with. And then, then you can, you know, if you've got a little bit more knowledge about the drinks category, particularly on the bartender side, you can start experimenting. We, we recommend that you try it with like passion fruit, coconut, guava, like some tropical ingredients, maybe lime goes really well. Just start adding you know, maybe a third or fourth ingredient in. But to begin with, especially because we're so new and this category is so new, we've been really focused on um, being super clear about how you drink it and, and what's kind of the first go-to. And that's been drink. a big selling point for a lot of uh, brands that I've seen have been really yeah. successful in the alcohol-free space. That kind of like ed- educational level and being okay, yeah. you can do it for yourself. And it's yeah. very easy to do as well. That's why I asked because I thought, Again, it was only my my assumption, I, and obviously from me, from doing it myself. I think yeah, and in this space, it's interesting because it's it's 
parallel to that of spirits where normally you the discovery happens in the bar and I think in this case in this particular instance the discovery has mainly happened in the home it's people experimenting mm, at home okay. um finding different products in retail online having them at home and then going into bars and going what alcohol free options have you got so it's happening a little bit the other way around which is interesting you come from a, a sort of proper like, you know, drinking industry background. Yeah. It's kind of like, mm, very interesting. <laughs> Obviously, you don't have to, like, you know, so many people change completely career and you yeah. do a product because you love it, but you also have that kind of insider knowledge. So, obviously, I'm, oh, I'm asking about your opinion, so yeah. I'm not expecting necessarily, like, a full study of, like, research data back analysis, but why do you think uh, we... You know, the, there was this this massive shift happened, like the massive yeah. shift between. Again, I tried to quit hardcore a few times, yeah, and most times just didn't happen. Obviously, this time it happened, but it wasn't related to how many options there were. Yeah, but objectively speaking, after after the first, I just let it go, and then I've introduced just hardcore free versions. It was nice not to only have the weird Bax Blue that wasn't even called Bax Blue, whatever it was called, and yeah. literally just go with that or with the OJ. It was nice to have options, mm-hmm. but I, again, for me, having done it firsthand myself, yeah, I, you know, I find that it definitely wasn't a case of more people wanting to go and sell it, and there was a cultural shift somewhere. Yeah, and I'm just kind of interested in seeing if you think of what could have been. Yeah, I think I think one of the main things that people are definitely these days much more aware of their health and what they're eating and drinking you've seen it happen massively in the food space and people are much more and want to be more aware of what's going into that food additives different ingredients chemicals and and there's more um transparency around what goes in and and also how that affects you and is that good is that bad for you longer term um, effects and I think the same the same applies to alcohol and you know you've seen it with the tobacco industry and smoking and, and you know that's happened relatively quickly really if you think yeah, about yeah, it yeah. in the last five ten years and I think yeah there's much more information out there people getting clued up on on living better lifestyles and I think that has kind of naturally applied to to the drinks industry I think also like there's been a lot reported around younger people drinking less. Yeah, I was going to ask you actually about the younger generation and whether yeah. that was a big drive as well. I think, okay, if you look if you look <laughs> back, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years, getting drunk was seen as cool. Yeah! <laughs> it, was, it was about how much can I drink, how much of a fool can I make of myself. Did you have alcohol pops or something like that that we have in this country? Yeah, called, like, like VKs and, and stuff like that in, in the nightclubs. Yeah, I mean, they were around it, like when I was at uni and it was... And it was like kind of this booze-filled culture. And I think now, particularly with Facebook, Instagram, people um, putting much more about their lives out there, it's kind of like it's no longer cool to be drunk and yeah. and be like that on, on your news feed or your Instagram feed. And I think that probably plays a big part. And I think people value the experience. They don't really want to go out spend loads on the night out and then completely forget the whole experience like what's the point of that you know you drink so much so you don't even remember what you did like that's crazy so now I think people people want to drink but they want to drink better and they want to remember what they did um you know people talk a lot about experience culture I think yeah it's it's a big part of that um so I think it's a mixture of of a few things you know and and it hasn't happened overnight alcohol free drinks have been around for a long time but I think the way that the cultures have shifted and, and then also tastes have improved. It's just all kind of happening around. And matching together. It's like, yeah, there's exactly. also a thing as an overnight Lighting. success kind of mm. thing. And then you just kind of make, make sort of things. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you again something else I'm realising then. Yeah, I'm going a bit more down into research and data. But um, again, obviously, your opinion, if you don't know exactly numbers, I'm not expecting that. But I'm kind of wondering whether also another thing that has happened which is that I wouldn't know, to be honest, but it's whether also some of the people that still drink occasionally mm. are also kind of introducing the alcohol-free options as mm. a way to still have the ex- experience, that, yeah. like, like I said, the taste, yeah. uh, without necessarily having the effects every time, if that makes sense, almost making yeah, like the real drink and a treat. That's a big part of it as well. It's not just people... Some people feel the need to cut out alcohol completely, 
and for you know pers you know whatever reasons they have i think there's a big group of people that are a bit like you're seeing now with flexitarian and people kind of cutting out meat during the week that's that's a big kind of trend now that that people are, are taking part in I think it's the same. I think if you're honest with yourself, and, and if I was honest with myself when I was drinking gin and tonic, I was like, how many times could I easily have had a non-alcoholic version of this? I didn't really, I didn't need the alcohol. I think alcohol is sometimes a byproduct of, of that experience. You don't need it. But I think what was lacking was, the, was that experience of the way it's presented, the way it tastes, the way that it's poured, the way that it's served. I think that's a really important part of it. And if you're just served with a pint of tap water or a glass of orange juice, it doesn't have the same magic, right? <laughs> it's not the same. Oh, Jay. Yeah, and I think when when you put something, uh, you know, a glass of something like, you know, Calina tonic in, in front of someone who was going to order just like a, a water or a lemon soda, their face lights up because they're like, yes, this is great. Like, a lot, a lot of the time I meet still people that aren't aware of this industry or don't know that this exists and they can see it slotting really easily into their lives because sure like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know even Thursday nights people don't always want to drink midweek but they still want to go out, they still want to meet with friends, go for lunch, brunch, dinner um, and have a nice time, catch up, what, like as humans we're social creatures. True. Um, but yeah I think the requirement for alcohol is is just lessening and I guess it's the memories as well I'm thinking like if you have the memory of again I'm Italian so uh, wine at uh, like every, yeah. pretty much every meal usually in the evening but with my grand with my granddaddy could have been also at lunch just like a glass of wine off we go <laughs> it's kind of like a social thing so you would expect if you're unwinding and you've been blowing a long day have a glass of wine and that's it and the fact that I can now get a glass of uh, um of alcohol free wine uh, like in the yeah. evening is great because it just kind of like gives me that little memory that I'm winding. So yeah. as I say, like it can be an experience of being social and it can also be whatever kind of feeling of coziness, homeliness, or just you know, relaxing, I suppose, yeah. and unwinding. Is that yeah. indulgence? Like at the end of the day, you want that. Um, but yeah, I don't think... Uh, it's funny now, when when I'd been doing like dry months and stuff and, and then I came and if I had... Like a, something with a gin in it, it felt so strong. I could really <laughs> taste, the, like the ethanol burn. I was like, "Wow, is this what it's always tasted like?" <laughs> but I think, because then I think if you start to focus more on flavour and people's taste profiles have changed over the years. Like True. we used to want sugary drinks. We used to want like have that sweet tooth feeling. And I think now people more, you know, more want unusual flavours, bitter notes, complexity, mouthfeel. That's all that stuff way more important now because that's what I was going to ask you because also what I thought like say brainwaves like, I was thinking about things like mocktails and like the sweet kind of like incredibly creepy ones that sometimes you get in bars when you're yeah. just like it looks great but then you look at the ingredients and I'm like it feels like a meal so yeah. again it's that kind of thing as well also those you know beforehand these were the alternatives sometimes you will be like yeah whatever I'm going to have a mocktail yeah. but as you say that's what that's the shift that I've seen as well I was like well there might be something in there because you're not, again, obviously guys are not the only ones, as I said, but a lot of the spirits, especially alcohol-free spirits, is a whole thing on its own. Yeah. And they're all like bitter, botanical. These flavors are different from the ones you will get from a mocktail. So it means that there is also that, as you say, level of experimentation. Yeah, we, we specifically chose to not use sugar, obviously alcohol too, but stay away from sugar as well because... Obviously, mocktails are known for being quite sweet and sugary. You've got plenty of... If you want sugar, there is a world of drinks out there for yeah. you. And a lot of the time, if people are cutting back on drink, it is for like health reasons. It is because you're trying to... You know, maybe you're going to the gym or you're getting up early. You don't want the sugar rush and, and you want to kind of cut down on your calories. So, we, you know, I was, I was really clear that I wanted to use natural ingredients. Try and stay away from sugar and not kind of be reliant on that to carry flavour for us. Awesome. Yeah. So when it comes to the development of the recipe, because you said all the magical things, including the little berries that just like slotting in. Yeah. Um, so, how, so there was a lot of it came also from, I guess, the flavours of home, if you want to say that, obviously, yeah. like the Colombian side as well. Um, what I'm interested in, if you can give me a bit of insights on, is testing on people, you mm. know, like the pools and stuff, and like little yeah. survey groups and stuff. Um, how how insightful was that? What did you learn from that? So helpful, yeah. I think I spent 
I spent a long, quite a large part of, of the time developing it was actually just getting into bars, speaking to people. So I probably, I would spend, um, you know, like days just walking around London and Bristol, just going into bars like unannounced and just saying, hey, I'm developing this drink. It's alcohol free. It's meant to be served in the same way as gin or vodka. Can you try it and let me know what you think? And, um, yeah, I got an inc- like really nice response from people. People were really happy to help and give me feedback. And, and everyone was like, this is such a great idea. This is, we do need this. So there was that recognition there. Um, and then sometimes I'd take that a little bit, like a step further, go into restaurants and bars and say, hey, do you mind if I speak to your customers about what they think? So I'd go in, be behind the bar all night, and then their waiting staff would say, would you like to try an alcohol-free um colonial tonic and people try it and then I would literally go up to them and just say look what did you think can you see this can you see yourself having this in the evening what do you think about the flavor so yeah I got loads of really good feedback and I think it's important to do that because very often you can have an idea and you might think it's the best idea in the world but unless you (laughs) actually go out there and find out do people really want this then you can be wasting your time Oh, 100%. I, I do love the proactiveness of literally going into the bar and being like, well, I'm here now. It was scary because I'm not, like, you know, that's not naturally me. Like, I can be a bit shy and, and not as confident, especially when I'm just walking into places people don't know. But I'm glad I did it because actually it gave me really good insight into what was happening in, in the bar world and, and just got, like, straightforward feedback from real people yeah. rather than being, you know, behind a computer screen on a survey yeah, and I guess also you got, as you said, both the element and one of them, which I think sometimes you might overlook, is just the actual barman, the actual people that do yeah. make the drinks. Yeah. And they, they kind of, like, know if they could use it themselves. Because as, as we said also right before in this podcast, distribution is great, but you also have to go, obviously, that you know, there's the retailers and then there's an all other world that they can definitely benefit from the drink. Yeah. And they can make it part of their menus, which is awesome, because that's even more... It's just the same kind of thing of like social proof. You see it at the bar, you see it, and in the, in the restaurant, you're like, oh, and then you see it in the shelves, you're gonna recognize it. Yeah, and that's kind of like part of the journey as well for the consumers. You learn, you learn stuff along the way. Like if you give a you know a couple of friends a bottle and just say, here, have this for a couple of weeks. Come back to me and let me know when you've used it, how, why, and you learn more from that than you will, you know, just being theoretical about stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's true though. Like if you give people that kind of option and you know that they're going to be able to kind of play with things yeah. they give you a lot more feedback usually you get a lot of feedback of what didn't work or what mm. you know what I mean and what like the expectations and kind of with the amount or not which is also a good grade to learn yeah. in my opinion as well yeah uh, actually I'm going to like scale back a bit and go back to one thing that we talked about which was the younger generation yeah and we mentioned about obviously the fact that they're very connected yeah i mean we're going from gen z which is younger to millennials which is yeah. i suppose both of us i'm gonna include you in that yeah you look <laughs> beautiful and youthful so we'll go with that um even if again probably we're a bit more at the edge um but nevertheless still millennials so i'm kind of wondering as you said yeah there's been some distribution i've spotted you about in sainsbury's i'm sure yeah. so yes. yay um, I'm always around those areas just trying yeah. to find my little section <laughs> every time I go to Sainsbury's and I'm a little scared um, but yeah I'm kind of wondering knowing that you're still really small and with that respect you don't understand the wider distribution how much did the marketing side of it whatever that might be obviously you can elaborate really help with everything else because that's I pretty much I've seen you before I've seen you online before I've been yeah. seen you at a trade show yeah. And that's kind of what I see you popping around and yeah. ideas and things coming up. So obviously everybody says marketing is good or like Instagram is great. Mm-hmm. But um, again, you're coming after, I think if I can say that, you're coming right after the time where pretty much Instagram was a bit younger and everybody yeah. would come up and everybody would get loads of traction. Yeah. So marketing, I think, has changed in the last couple of years and you're in the middle of this change where it's a bit tougher to be noticed yeah. online. Yeah, sure. Um, so what have you learned from that and how has that helped so far? Because I think it has. Yeah, I think we... I think you have to use digital if to your advantage if it's a way to speak to your audience. Yeah. And and we recognised like, quite early on that I wanted this to be a brand for the 2030s market, like the younger bracket, because... 
me, my sisters, we're all in that age group, we all feel this pain, we all want to be healthier, live a more balanced lifestyle. So that's what we felt. And and we kind of looked at, well, where, where do we spend most of our time? On Instagram, sharing photos, talking to friends, Facebook a little bit to some extent. But, you know, you look at now, where do people do their shopping? It's on their phone. You look at emails. I mean, the only time I think people are on um, desktop is when, when they're working. Yep. You know, otherwise you're browsing through your phone. So if people are using their phones, then we, we've we just been conscious that that's how we speak to people because that's how we're going to get cut through. I think long gone are the days where, you know, it's all about TV advertising and sponsorship and it's like, go out to the masses. We... We did a lot in the beginning, like around Facebook testing, to find who were the audiences that really our brand spoke to, who bought into our product, purchased, and were you know liking our content. And we kind of then focused on those guys because we don't want to just put a message out there and just hope that someone picks it up. I think you have to be in this day and age when there's so much content, there's so many brands out there. You have to be super clear about who you're talking to and what you're saying. So. Yeah, from the beginning we've been... I mean, and, and we're still learning. Like, oh, 100%. You know, and it keeps get, changing, doesn't it? It keeps changing, but it's hard. I think people have this view that you're going to get on Instagram, you're going to get millions of likes and, and hundreds of followers. Probably the other way around. <laughs> and it's not. It's, <laughs> millions of followers. Um, it's not that easy to, to get... And people are picky about who they follow, and, and if they're going to follow you, it's because they're really interested in what you're doing and, and they... They want to know and keep keep updated. So, but then that could be the same for 40, 50 other brands. True. So, so yeah, I think it's tough. But yeah, personally, I don't really watch that much TV anymore. And if I am, it's like on YouTube or catch up on Netflix. People consume yeah Netflix and people consume content in different ways. A lot of it, like I probably listen to podcasts more. 100% and I find that's, content. that's the kind of thing that you, as you say you want to go where your people are yeah. as much as possible people as well busy lives as well I think people consume content in different ways it'll be on a bus on like on a train on the commute to work you know there's so much going on day to day I think you kind of you use the content to fill those gaps that's a very fair point that's a very fair point and it's that kind of thing where as you say you want to make sure that I think sometimes brands can forget even more than, uh, for example, like an influencer or a blogger where mm-hmm. you kind of buy into the inspiration or the lifestyle, if you know what I mean, and what yeah. do you see, the content. When it comes to a brand, objectively, you're not, it's not your portfolio, you know, your 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 social accounts are not a portfolio, are part of the story and are part of like giving yeah. value. And it's sometimes it's harder to give value as a brand that is also having to sell and is also having to talk about the product, but you also yeah. want to get people into that journey and part of that community. Yeah. So as you said, like people will need to be encouraged to follow you. Yeah. It's not just because you exist. You then. have to give them reasons to follow. Like, are you giving something away? Are you telling people about where you're going to be and when they can try? We get a lot of people saying, you know, we, we do like samplings and pop-ups and tastings and we we communicate to people on there where we're going to be and what's happening. And, and also you've got things like stories, which can give people a sense of the people behind the brand and what's happening where before you didn't really have that, you couldn't really get to see behind the screen and, and see what was happening. And so I think, I think that's quite nice because people want to know. How much of yourself are you putting out there right now? You would say, um, quite a lot, I guess. Um, I think, and that's because I didn't want this to be a faceless brand where, people don't know who's created it and why so I, I do put myself out there and, and I kind of tell the story of how I got started and a lot of people hopefully find that inspirational and then if you know other people have got their own ideas they have the confidence to go out and do it so I do I do talk to a lot of other entrepreneurs and I try and um, you know do stuff like this where I'm putting the story out there and, and letting people take from it what they will because when I first started that was probably what helped me like was listening to other people who had gone on a similar journey had started with nothing and then grown something into something tangible that people could buy and were doing really well and I found that super inspiring because I guess you can resonate with whichever step you think is the one that you're at you can resonate with that and then it can help you getting further up yeah sometimes we forget that within the parts of the journey everybody is 
on one stage, even if it's literally yeah. the first step or the ladder, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So just kind of being able to listen and kind of like pick up um, those bits as well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and it means that like it, it's authentic, you know? Like if someone's writing on Instagram, it's me coming back to them and it's not just some robot or like algorithm or like someone in a call centre. It's it's They're getting to speak to the person that's created it as opposed to anyone else. Right? I think that's important. Would you find that, realistically speaking, going there like Kalenya goes like, millions of followers, yay! Would you say that realistically, is it something that you would be still wanting to be in control of? When we've got millions of followers? Yeah, I mean, ignore the millions of followers. <laughs> when? <laughs> when? <laughs> when? No, it will happen. But I mean, in general, when you, you know, when yeah. you have bigger team, communication, other things to work around, obviously. Yeah. So when you are busy, I put it this way. Yeah. Um, do you think it's still something that you would be wanting to? And by the way, some brands still do that. It's like yeah. some brands... I think it is important not to lose touch with your audience and what they want um, because otherwise you can then become quite quickly removed from what you're doing. Of course, are things going to get busier as the team grows and you've got more responsibility? Yeah, like you're, you've only got X amount of hours in the day. You still need to make sure that your mental well-being is like looked after and that you're still enjoying it and you're not kind of stretching yourself too much. But I think it is important to stay connected and in touch with where you started and, and what you set out to do awesome it's, it's actually I'm, I'm only asking because it's coming up a lot mm. when talking to different people on the podcast especially when they do have a, a business and stuff and just kind of like the way that they started to slightly delegate and some like still do keep themselves as a big part of that conversation I think if that makes sense obviously when you're small you can do things that aren't scalable you can reply to every person personally and you can do things and you should do that for as long as you possibly can of course as the brand grows and scales you're not going to be able to do that as much but I think it's important to then check in and make sure that the people who then are managing that for you are really really clear so then it becomes more about setting a really clear vision and strategy you're like where do we want to go why are we here what's our purpose and then making sure everyone's completely clear on what that message is because if you're not all singing off the same page him she then that's where things go wrong, I think. Because what, what I'm hearing as well is that even just responding to somebody's message on, on Instagram is still part of the, the customer service kind of thing. It's, objectively speaking, marketing is part of the customer service yeah. right now, if not most of it. Because yeah. a lot of it doesn't even happen by email anymore. If somebody's no. really upset, it's kind of funny. I'm not going to mention the the brand, but I'm talking to, the, I think, three different people on three different... Because uh, there's been an issue with a product that I got. <laughs> three different people on three different platforms, and I'm just like help and this is kind of weird but because it's a, ma it's a massive company and I just kind of Michael, I, yeah. just, I just wanted to voice my concern because I was like I need help yeah but again understanding where they're coming from because they also have a business but yeah. still as you say then it becomes frustrating obviously yeah. they're not talking about different things but I'm still repeating myself three times when it could be just like you know we keep it to one channel we know what's going on and I think it's not even a case of mindlessness it's just a case of prioritizing yeah. these elements of your business to make sure that when you grow the system is in place and it's an easy one yeah. to follow because there's going to be loads of platforms and every platform you have unfortunately unfortunately there's a way for people to message you yeah and it's challenging because there are like brands have so many different touch points now whether it's twitter facebook instagram website email there's lots of ways to brands getting to get in contact with you and i think some of the big brands probably place more importance on places that are more visible because yeah. it's they they're worried that that their brand is image is going to get harmed in some way so it's kind of it's, it's that learning process as well and i guess mm -hmm. even if it's harder at the beginning you still have a bit of an advantage in being smaller because you can yeah. control that as we go along because we also have to remember that i think and again i'm coming from my digital perspective the way customer service has changed and the way that obviously uh, feedback and reports and support has changed It's probably been the last six months to a year that it's gone massively kind of like, you know, smaller scale bots or message or like probably about a year. So it's not that long. No. And it's kind of hard because unless you're small enough that you can adapt, you kind of have to do like a massive like clearing up yeah. to keep things streamlined at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. Because it doesn't really matter how big you are as well. Yeah. When it comes so there's one more thing that I wanted to ask you about which is when it comes to also like the brand identity and kind of making sure that you partner with the right people yeah how much because there's also your sister involved as well obviously but we know that you respond to all of our Instagram messages 
but how much are you both working together when it comes to that side as well because again that also directly goes back to your vision the brand identity obviously we partner with will also affect that so you're still controlling all of that or you're kind of finding to work it together or is there a system in place in terms of what social media partnerships and partnerships. kind of you know whether it's brands or like also like events and stuff like that because yeah. it's a mammoth task and people don't realize yeah. how time consuming that can be yeah no i'm and at the moment like with whatever team we've got at the moment we've got quite a small team but it's still a really collaborative approach because i think you get more out of the process by ideas coming together and then you build on ideas and then they become better so yeah with my sister we kind of she she's helped massively since she's come in and 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 we can do more but I think you have to be realistic about your size and not try and do too much in the beginning but do the things that you do do just do them really well and be really kind of clear-headed about what you want that particular piece of activity to deliver on um, and then make sure that your message isn't kind of unclear and people aren't really sure what's happening so, so yeah everything we do is quite collaborative and and it's like divide and conquer really yeah <laughs> love it yeah it is the best strategy it's like yeah until, until you've got you know we're, we're bringing on like a bit more of a team at the moment so we'll have that's when I think in the beginning, like in a startup, you it's all hands to deck and everyone's doing a bit of everything, and and that's a great way to learn. I think that's why why people like to work in startups sometimes because you can get certainly for me like every every day, every week, I learn something new, something I've never done before, and that's exciting. I love that. I love learning new stuff. I'd be bored if I was doing the same thing day in day out. Um, but as as the team grows and as company grows, then your roles become more defined, and it just means that you have then have ownership about what you're doing. But I think it's important to still collectively regroup, awesome as a team, on the brand and the vision, and just say, look, does this feel right? Yeah, sometimes it's a gut feeling as well. Yeah, and just kind of the instinct is it's quite a good one. You think it's gut gut like, feeling? People overlook it, but it's really important. You're like overanalyzing, and you're like, if you're overanalyzing, probably means that you yeah. kind of feel that it's not right, and you're yeah. trying to justify it. That's obviously depends on, on the on the decision, but um, again, some, sometimes just as you say, as easy as gut feeling, and yeah. it will kind of get you that. Uh, one more thing before I ask you the last question, very briefly, where do you think? Again, I'm going back to like industry, but where do you think the industry is added when it comes to alcohol free? Yeah, even just personally. Again, I'm not necessarily talking about different brands or like studies and stuff just where do you see massive shifts spirits mm. is a big thing that has been kind of like worked on different brands different ideas but what do you think is going to happen next if anything i think i do think in the world of alcohol free we're at the tip of the iceberg really mm-hmm. hasn't really gone mainstream just yet it's yeah. not like you can walk into every bar and there's guaranteed decent range of non-alcoholic options um, but I think over the next year to two years, we're going to see things change quite rapidly. You're already getting bars and pubs. I mean, the retailers have also, like, if you look at someone like Sainsbury's, um, late last year they had one non-alcoholic spirit and a few other non-alcoholic options. They've now got more like five or six. Yeah, true. So it's grown quite quickly, and I think as people become more aware of this industry and this, this this kind of option is available, I think you're gonna you're gonna see things change quite rapidly. And I think it will become a bit like we were talking earlier, it will become more about um, switching. So you may you might have at the start of the night an alcoholic drink and then you spend the rest of your night on non-alcoholic drinks. And I don't think it's gonna be quite as black and white as I'm not drinking or I am drinking. I think there's gonna be a bit of blurring of lines and it just becomes more accepted more part of our culture and I, I think that's a good thing because actually at the end of the day it's it is less harmful than, than drinking alcohol and and I think everything in moderation right I think anything to excess is never going to be a great thing so I think if we're if we're more mindful and, and it means we can we can do more with our day we can you know you can get up and go for that morning jog without feeling hungover you can <laughs> You can, you know, remember the night before. There's, there's lots of, there's lots of benefits to, to drinking a little bit less. Awesome. Last question. So this is the question that we ask everyone. Yeah. So no pressure. 
if you could have brunch with anyone, dead or alive, potentially with some Kalinia cocktails as well, if you wish, who would that person be? Can I have brunch with anyone? Yep. You can bring the drinks. Oh, God. Um, who would I have brunch with? Probably someone like um, Oprah Winfrey, maybe. I think she's like quite inspirational. I listen to a lot of her stuff. Nice. Days and I think she's... Um, I mean, she's the one that kind of immediately came to mind. Because um, she's such a big voice and and kind of it was amazing to see what she did in her career and like where she started and then where she ended up. I think she'd be quite an interesting person to have a few Kalenia and tonics with. <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, you've put me on the spot there. There's so many. <laughs> There's so many people. You want to have like a massive bottomless brunch with everyone. Bottomless Kalenia brunch. Yeah. Just like with like 20 people just across a table. But you did say that, like, part of your culture is also, like, that party that kind of, like, people yeah. coming together uh, as well. Maybe, like, someone like Shakira. I'd love to get some oh. dance move tips from her. <laughs> She's, she seems like a fun person to have brunch with. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. You can have them both. That could be a big, fun I'm one. I'm a big fan of Shakira, so. <laughs> <laughs> Shakira, if you're listening. Maybe I like performance, too. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for being with me today. It was pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Make an Impact Show. For more info on the HBC, head to our socials at hbloggers.com or go to our website, healthbloggerscommunity.com. Now, get out there and be awesome.